Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, coming to you after a crazy, crazy Monday night football game where it seems like the Ravens had it won, and then the Raiders, with no timeouts, were able to tie it up and go and take this game into overtime, and then the Raiders thought they had won the game, and then they were on the half-yard line, threw an interception, didn't score. The Ravens had it. Lamar Jackson fumbled. All in all, Raiders end up defeating the Ravens. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the Browns. And after a little over 24 hours, I wanted to record this just quick solo episode because on yesterday's podcast with Jordan, when we broke down the whole game, I was unsure how to feel between being pessimistic and optimistic about the Browns. I think there were reasons for both, but ultimately I come out on the side of optimism. And so I wanted to record a podcast about why that is, why I think ultimately there were more reasons to be optimistic than pessimistic for the Browns here going forward. And and I'll touch on those. And then also uh, some other news as well. It came out too that I want to get into specifically the PFF grades. But to kick things off, I ended up becoming optimistic about the Browns a lot more over these last 24 hours. And here's why. Yes, they lost to the Chiefs in a game that they should have won. That missed opportunity is tough because it'll hurt in terms of home field advantage, all of that. And you want to get over the hump of beating the Chiefs, sure. But We know that so much changes over the course of the season. So after one week, do we know if the Browns are going to have, you know, not going to have home field advantage? No, we don't know that. Do we know what the Chiefs are going to look like in December or January? No, we don't know that. So I took a step back and I thought, you know, there's more reasons here to be optimistic and pessimistic if you take a look at the big picture. And that's what I think coming off the loss, sometimes when you're recording those post-game podcasts, it's hard to do that. I always write it in at the end of the rundown. Hey, take a step back, look at the big picture. But I almost didn't look at it enough because I was looking at it in terms of the, the AFC standings and where the Browns fit into that. But there are some other things that need to be taken into account here. The number one place to start is Baker Mayfield. On the episode before the season, Jordan and I talked about what it would take for the Browns to win 13, 14 games, what it would take for them to go to the Super Bowl. And I said, it's simple, it's reductive, but it's Baker Mayfield playing at his ceiling. Can he be a top eight quarterback? Can he be a top five quarterback? Can he reach those heights? Because at the end of last season, I I think he was inching toward that, especially those last eight games, especially in the playoffs. But We hadn't seen it over 17 games. He struggled at times in the first six weeks of last year in particular. I think that's fair to say. Now he was with a new offensive coordinator, a new head coach, COVID year, understand all of those things are factors. But my point was, hey, I don't know what Baker Mayfield we're going to get. And that's a tantalizing thing because I think the floor was relatively high, but he played great yesterday. Forget the last drive. He was awesome. He was decisive. He was accurate. He was in total command of the offense. I went back and watched the condensed version of the game this morning, and 
I was really, really impressed with the way Baker Mayfield played. And because the Browns lost, I think it didn't shine through and in the same way, but he was fantastic in that game. And if you're a Browns fan, you have to be optimistic about that part going forward is if he plays at a top 10 level, the rest of this roster is as advertised. This roster is great. It is well-rounded. It is deep. If Baker Mayfield's a top 10 quarterback, the Browns are winning double-digit games. There's just no way they're not going to with the schedule they have and with the roster they have and with the head coach they have too in Kevin Stefanski. So that part, I think you have to be pleased with is there is, this is not going to be a situation like we saw two years ago with Freddie Kitchens. This team is what it was hyped up to be. And that's not a given in the NFL, but I believe that after week one, we've already seen enough for me to have faith in this team going forward here, you know, barring major injuries and, and all of those things. Reason number two to be optimistic. David and joke, a guy I have routinely said on this podcast, and I'm not sure he's ever really going to hit that potential. Boy, did he look good in that game against the chiefs. When I watched it on replay, there was even a play that Baker missed him where he did a nice job adjusting, getting open when Baker scrambled, not to mention the several plays where Baker did hit him at key points in the game. I thought he really shined through. And the reason I single him out as a specific player is this. The Browns have a multitude of weapons on that offense. We know them, right? The running back duo, dominant. The receivers, deep. You've got different play styles in Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. and now Schwartz, all that stuff. But Baker and Stefanski both love tight ends. Stefanski loves to use 12 personnel. He even loves to use 13 personnel. And we saw that throughout this Chiefs game. Baker Mayfield, going back to his college days, has always been more comfortable throwing to tight ends. It's why I don't think the fit between him and Odell Beckham Jr. is ever going to be seamless. It's never going to be incredible in the same way that you see with some quarterbacks and receivers, just because he likes those bigger targets. Well, the Browns haven't had amazing play from their tight ends. I thought Hooper was okay last year, uh, uh, probably not worth the contract, but, but solid. I thought Njoku was solid last year, made some strides from two years ago, no doubt. But Njoku showed flashes of being more than that. And I think that's the kind of player that could really unlock Baker Mayfield and make this offense just impossible to defend. If he's that guy with Odell Beckham on the outside, with the running game that they have, I think this offense is going to be really scary. I know the Chiefs are missing three of their best defenders. I understand that. But at some point, there are just too many weapons for you to cover. And that prospect was really tantalizing to me when I rewatched the game. I thought, wow, he could really take this offense to even heights I didn't see coming this season. Reason number three to be optimistic, the draft class. First round pick, Greg Newsom. I didn't think that that he really got a tons of opportunities to display his talents one way or the other. He just wasn't very involved for the most part, but graded out really nicely as the third highest player on the defensive side of the football. JOK, we'll talk about it more this week, should be playing more. He was the best linebacker on the field, and they needed to use him more. 
I looked at that in the negative sense uh, with Mac Wilson on the podcast on Sunday night, but the positive is, Hey, it looks like they drafted the, the right guy there. That's going to help this team. That's going to help against the Baltimore's and the Kansas cities of the world. The draft pick I was most skeptical of Anthony Schwartz was fantastic. Listen to this stat. Anthony Schwartz accounted for 43.4% of the team's air yards in that game yesterday, 10 among qualified receivers from week one. He was a large piece of this offense, stretching them vertically, stretching them horizontally in exactly the way that people who believed in Schwartz thought he could contribute to this team. I'm not 100% there yet. I'm still not. I still have some worries about him catching balls deep down the field and some of his ability to track the ball there, but so far, so good. Kevin Stefanski, you know, sometimes with those later round picks, it's, hey, can you put them in a position to do what they do well? People talk about that with Bill Belichick all the time, right? He asks players to do what they can do well. And the Browns asked Anthony Schwartz to do what he could do well in that game. He's not going to be a perfect route runner. Okay, but he's got speed, and they got him to use his speed in that game too. And although he's not a draft guy, you know, you got to throw Malik McDowell in there too, which leads me to my fourth thing to be optimistic about. And that's the defensive line. Ignore the sack numbers. The defensive line won the matchup against that chief's offensive line. It was hard to tell at times. And I get that that could be frustrating to Browns fans that they didn't always get home to Mahomes, but they generated pressure on 44% of the Chiefs dropbacks. That was the fifth highest rate in the NFL in week one. And all we heard about was, hey, the Chiefs offensive line has improved. They're going to protect Mahomes. They're going to make the total difference between what happened between Mahomes and the Super Bowl and what happened throughout the last two seasons. And while that may be true for most of the Chiefs games, the Chiefs offensive line lost the matchup to the Browns. The Browns got pressure on Mahomes. They just need to figure out how to get them to the ground. They just need some of their linebackers to cover up for a half a second longer or make a play in space when Mahomes scrambles, like on that touchdown play where he just juked out Mac Wilson. So there are things you can do and improve upon when Mahomes gets pressured. So he can't make those incredible plays when he bails the pocket. But don't let that overshadow the fact that this defensive line looked really good. And Malik McDowell is a name I want to single out in particular because he was fantastic. And that was the hole I thought that could exist on this defensive line behind besides defensive end depth, which could, could still be an issue with injuries, but none of that so far. And Billings, I thought looked really weak at times of preseason. And I was wondering what the Browns were going to do there. And they started Malik McDowell right from the jump. They started him and he made an impact. He had a tackle for loss on that first drive. He was held on that first drive. And that was a huge reason why the Browns were able to get the Chiefs to just a field goal there. And if he's going to play that well, then there are no holes on that defensive line. You've got Malik Jackson. You've got Jadavion Clowney. You've got, of course, Miles Garrett. If you throw Malik McDowell in there, if he's playing at that level like he did against the Chiefs, that's an elite unit. And it is going to make up for a ton of of the other deficiencies on this defense, of which I don't think there are many. There are a few that got exposed against the Chiefs. I don't think this defense is going to be in as bad a shape as it was last year, but that defensive line is going to cover it up 
against worse teams. And because of Mahomes and because the Chiefs offensive line is still a pretty decent line, we didn't see that as much as we will. But Browns fans, rest assured, that defensive line is still as advertised, and, that, and that's a reason to be optimistic. And my last reason to be optimistic is another thing that I singled out before the season, but I'm not backing down after a week one. And that's the Browns division is not as good as it's been in years, maybe over a decade. And nothing that happened in week one changed my mind. The Ravens are just snake bitten at this point in terms of injuries. That was a tough game for them to lose, but they had multiple injuries come up again in that game. It's only been one week. They've got all of these guys on injured reserve already. They've got tons of running backs down. They've got receivers who are banged up. They've got Marcus Peters injured. At some point, you can only sustain so much. I think that defense will keep them in it. I think Lamar is going to keep them in this season. I think the coaching staff is going to keep them in this season. I don't think they're just going to totally fall apart, but I don't think they're going to reach their potential either. And I don't think they're going to be that 12-win type of team that, that a lot of people penciled them in to be ahead of the season. And that clears the pathway for the Browns because the Steelers may have beaten Buffalo, but spare me any talk that the Steelers team is going to be anything other than we thought it was going to be. That offensive line is dreadful. Big Ben did not look good. Their receivers are great, and that they have that going for them on offense, but that was a – poor offensive performance. I don't care what the, the end result was. I watched the game and you cannot tell me as a Steelers fan or as a neutral NFL fan, you watched that game and thought, oh yeah, we're in great shape for the rest of the season. No way. They cannot block. Big Ben cannot move. His arm strength down the field is not there. The defense is great. It hundred percent is great. And that may get them to being a 500 team, not 12 wins. Uh-uh. It's not going to happen. And so I still feel good about the fact that that's going to be a middling team. They're going to take a step back from where they've been in years past. And the Bengals, again, they won. Happy for you. I watched the game. Spare me that that's a good football team. It's not. So there you go. There are your five reasons to be optimistic about the Browns coming out of that loss on Sunday. I, some of this stuff is just going to look a lot better against the Texans. Yes, the Texans were frisky and, and beat up on the Jaguars, but uh, the Browns are not the Jaguars. Newsflash. They've got a much more complete roster. The Texans are going to struggle a lot more to move the football, and I think ultimately the Browns are going to be in much better shape to win this game. But we've got plenty of time to get into that. There'll be more podcasts coming later in the week on that. The one last thing I wanted to touch on was PFF grades that, that were released today. We can start with the offense really quickly. I think there was less there. As I mentioned, Njoku and Schwartz being third and fourth on the team is really what stands out because those were two guys that I don't think you would say are the top weapons on this Browns offense, but they played really, really well. And when you play really, really well like that, you get stats like the Browns having the highest yards per play on offense in the NFL in week one, 8.2 yards per play. You get things like Baker Mayfield being fourth in terms of completion percentage over expected. When you have that well-rounded of an offense, it's so dynamic that it's going to be impossible to stop. The other thing I'd say to, that, that's worth flagging is the fact 
that Chris Hubbard did not grade out very well. He's going to be the replacement here when Jed Wills misses time. Jed Wills avoided a serious injury, which is great news for the Browns. Nothing was broken in that ankle, but Chris Hubbard is a solid swing tackle. He will probably need to play slightly better than he did against the Chiefs uh, in future weeks against some of the Browns' tougher uh, uh, opponents. But for now, that's okay. You know, they've got uh, the Texans this week, the Bears next week. That D-line scares me a little bit. Uh, Khalil Mack scares me a lot of bit. So they may need some performances from Chris Hubbard to be better than, than what he gave them in week one. We'll see. We'll see how long Jed Wills is out to. Don't know that. The defensive side of the football, this is really interesting. Number one, Malik McDowell led the Browns' uh, PFF grades, and deservedly so. He rep after rep after rep when you watch the tape is in the backfield, blowing up run plays. He deserved that. The other thing that stands out is the linebackers because talked about it on the podcast yesterday. To me, that was the number one takeaway about the Browns' defense was our linebackers got exposed in space, and they need to figure that out. And I think it was a personnel error. I don't understand why Mac Wilson was playing. I heard all the hype in the offseason. It wasn't there. He was dreadful in that first quarter, and then they, they stopped playing him quite as much. But he saw 22 snaps and graded out as one of the worst guys. And, and then Malcolm Smith graded out as one of the worst guys as well. Both of them just could not hang in space with Travis Kelsey or the other Chiefs players, Malcolm Smith, even worse, a 29.6 overall rating. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Now, on the flip side, as I mentioned, the reason to be optimistic is JOK in 25 snaps was fourth in terms of Browns players' PFF grades on the defensive side of the football. So it's a personnel adjustment that needs to happen there. JOK has got to be on the field more. They have got to play him more. He has the speed to keep up with players in space. That's what the modern NFL is. You have to have speed at the linebacker position. Yes, he's a little undersized. Yes, there may be some times where teams run the football on you a little bit more, but that's the sacrifice you want to make. You want to dare the Chiefs to run the football. They were talking about it on Sunday night with the Rams. The Rams line up and basically say, please run the football. We are going to give you light boxes. We are going to trust our guys to make plays to stop you. Please run the football. It's less efficient. It'll slow you down over time. It'll create more third downs over time where our pass rushers can get to you or somebody can make a play. Please run the football. And the Browns need to do the same thing. Prioritize coverage. Put JOK out there. Let his speed do its work. And he could make plays in the run game, too. We saw it in preseason. So it's only week one of the season. Again, why you should be optimistic is there are plenty of good things to take away from this game, including the fact that, yes, our linebackers got exposed in space, but there is a solution there, and that's to play JOK more. All right, that will do it for this podcast. Plenty more to come on this feed. I'll have a Texans preview. Uh, I had to change up the times a little bit with my guest, but we will have that coming to you on this feed as well. And then the post-game reaction with Jordan, once again, if you want to hear our full thoughts on the game, please, please go still check out that episode. But now moving forward, we will be moving on to the Texans week two coming up here on Sunday. So Browns fans, until next time, just two words for you. Go Browns. <laughs>